Okay, welcome to episode five of the Firehouse Forum podcast. And I am calling this episode the Alphas Edition, which is a reference to Brave New World, the show that Quill is opening at the Cultural Arts Center in Glen Allen tomorrow. But it's also, um, I'm also calling it that because we have some extremely accomplished people on the show today. As you know, I have been incredibly lucky to have people on the show, some great people on the show every week since we started this podcast. But this week we have some real standouts, not only because they're great actors, great theater professionals, but they are also accomplished in a number of other ways. So we're going to start off the show with Alex Wiles, who is starring in the previously mentioned Brave New World. She is also the motivating force behind Virginia Voices Live Performance Descriptors Program, and she's going to talk a little bit more about that. Then we'll have Bianca Bryant, who, as I've been mentioning for weeks, will be starring in the musical Wings, the next show here at Firehouse, and who many of you hear every single day as the in-house vocal talent at WCVE 88.9, one of our local public radio stations. Last and certainly not least, I am talking to Alan Sater, a man that really requires no introduction, but in case you need one, he's a bit of a local legend thanks to his work as the on-air spokesperson for Child Fund International for years and years and years. So he's also an amazing actor who was in Desire Under the Elms here at Firehouse last November, and because the man just can't seem to slow down, he is now appearing in I'm Gonna Pray For You So Hard at Theater Lab that is also opening this coming weekend. Uh, before we get to the interviews, I also have to mention that it's one of those times, and it happens a few times every year, when there are a crazy number of shows opening all at once. Uh, this weekend, there are five productions opening, and next weekend, there are going to be two more. So I'm going to try to get people from as many shows as possible on the podcast, but unfortunately, I can't cover them all. So I apologize for that. But I hope people go out and see the other shows that are in the Acts of Faith Festival, for instance. Even if I'm not talking about them here, uh, you can go to actsoffaith.org to see what those shows are. And, of course, you're going to want to go to firehousetheater.org or firehouseforum.org to see the latest things going on here at the Firehouse. All right, let's get to the show. Okay. We're here with Alex Wiles. Hi, Alex. Hi, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> I, well, thanks you for having me. We're recording at WCB Studios today, so if the sound quality is different, that is better. Um, <laughs> that's why. So thanks for having me at your place. Oh, gosh. It's great to have you here. Uh, so let me talk a little bit about Alex and make her feel embarrassed for a while, and then I'll ask you some questions. Um, so after graduating from Maggie Walker Governor's School... Right? Mm -hmm. you, you correct me when I'm wrong, you know. <laughs> and after the first Pulitzer, no, wait a minute. Um, uh, after graduating from Maggie Walker, you went to University of Richmond. Mm -hmm. And I first saw you on stage in a show called Arcadia mm. that was staged by Richmond Shakespeare back in 2010. Yeah. You were still at U of R at that yep. point, right? Mm -hmm. Was that your first professional role? Yes. Yes, okay. it was. It's quite a quite a debut. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Um, ever since she has distinguished herself in other roles with Quill Theater Company, roles like Luciana in Comedy of Errors in 2013 and Ophelia in Hamlet in 2015, mm -hmm. no, 2013, 2015, mm -hmm. roles that I would argue require a great deal of thoughtfulness, intelligence, and intelligence in addition to acting skill. 
So that's how I think you distinguish yourself, in my little old opinion. Um, after graduating from U of R, you worked with the Boys and Girls Clubs of Metro Richmond, mm -hmm. um, and then you went to work for WCVE, cultivating major do donors as part of their Commonwealth Circle program. Absolutely. Am I right so far? Yeah. Okay. She's also on the board of directors of Virginia Voice, a nonprofit whose mission it is to connect individuals with disabilities to information, culture, and community using technology and the human voice. So there's a whole lot there that I could talk about. <laughs> I haven't even mentioned Brave New World, which we're going to get into in a minute. But uh, let's start with Virginia Voice. How did you find out about them? How did you start getting involved with them? Well, you know, actually, as with many things in my life, was something that came my way as a result of being here at the Community Idea Stations. Okay. Uh, WCVE Radio actually carries the special subcarrier signal that Virginia Voice uses for its special radios that its um, its users use. Okay, so um, the audio, um, the... Yes, it's a it's a sub frequency, so that only only if you have this special radio can you re receive their signal. Okay. Uh, and our head of radio, Bill Miller, came to me one day and he said, "I've been a part of this organization for a really long time. They're a partner of ours. I have to roll off the board. My time is up. Huh. Would you be interested in getting involved? We feel it's really important for somebody from the station to be a part of this organization." And okay. I said. You know, I'm not really well versed in blindness and vision impairment and the issues involved in that, but I'm certainly happy to learn. So let me go to a meeting and see what it's like. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, went to a few board meetings before I was voted on. And then pretty shortly thereafter, or about the same time, their director of development and marketing, Jennifer Cunningham, uh, sent me a link to this article about a program uh, that another organization like theirs had started where they were providing live audio description of theater performances right. for people who are blind or vision impaired. And, and I said, if it's not obvious, that's the theater connection, people. <laughs> there <laughs> you go. That's what we're talking about. Uh, and um, she, she said, is this something that you'd be interested in exploring? I feel really strongly that this should be something we're doing. And I said, you know, I'm young. I'm not going to be your top donor on your board. I don't know a ton about governance. I've certainly been in the nonprofit world and can offer a, a development perspective, but this is something where I could actually probably help. So yes. Uh, and that was about a year and a half ago. And as we were thinking about who we could partner with, at least in a, in a sort of a pilot phase, mm -hmm. the first name that came to mind was Virginia Rep okay. uh, because they have such extensive programs that are already dealing with accessibility sure. that I thought this is this is a natural place to start exploring this. Okay. And Bruce and Phil and Nathaniel all got on board uh, in the most earnest and open of ways. <laughs> we had a few meetings and we said, well, the only way we're going to know if we know how to do this is to try it. Right. So thanks to a grant from Culture Works and another grant from the Community Foundation, we were able at Virginia Voice to acquire the equipment we needed to actually do the transmitted description in the theater, okay. uh, which basically involves a, a transmitter with a, a stenographer's mask that I speak into with my describing partner wow. that wirelessly sends that audio signal to receivers that each patron has in their hand okay. and in one ear. And we acquired the equipment and we said, all right, let's 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 give it a go with the first show of the season. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, it's Shakespeare in Love. It's a play. This is going to be so much easier than when we have to do musicals. It's going to be great. <laughs> sure. Then I thought about it and went, hmm, a play within a play within a play is probably not the first choice. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we, we dove in head first mm -hmm. and it was a, an incredible experience. Uh, I have to give Bruce Miller recognition for the fact that he really took this 
bull by the horns on Virginia Rep side of things and did his own research about best practices for live audio description had found out something that we had heard about at training but were too scared to bring up, <laughs> which was the the idea of a tactile tour before the show. This is apparently really big in Australian theaters. Uh, it's not so much done in the States, but Bruce felt really strongly that that was a part of the experience that would really enrich the description during the show. Sure. So did and people go out on stage? Yes, and... yes. So we took our group of 20 people out on the stage of Shakespeare in Love before the show started. They had that incredible set that rotated. Right. We stood at the edge of the stage. The stagehands actually rotated the set so our patrons could feel the bulk and the weight of that set oh, rumbling yeah, around. So cool. We laid ha- hands on it. And then the part where I just completely lost it was um, when Brandon Carter and Betsy Struxness, of course, Will and Viola mm-hmm. in the show, actually made themselves available before the show in costume, spoke in their character voices to help people get their ears attuned to who they'd be hearing from. Okay. And made themselves so physically, personally accessible to our patrons. Mm. I mean, hands-on costumes, hands-on faces. And when one of our patrons said to Brandon, she put his hands on his face and she said, oh, you have a beautiful smile. (laughs) I was done. I was done. (laughs) It was good. We had about half an hour before I actually had to describe the show because I I was done. Um, So it's... It's that kind of really personal connection. I think it was really powerful for the artists that were involved. Scott Witchman also jumped in there. Um, he had a weapon with him from the show, so that uh, made it uh. fun. And then once the curtain goes up, it's on me and my describing partner, Katie Hennekins, who's actually an educator at North Star Academy. Okay. Uh, she does the pre-show description, which sort of sets the scene, takes right. care of all the things that there's no time for me to describe during the live action of the show. And so she basically writes like a 10-page research paper on the show. We preview the show twice so that we really have all the details down. And she's sitting there taking copious notes during these previews. And I start out that way and very quickly devolve into just the most active observation I have ever done. Um, So that by the time I see the show to describe it, it's the third time I've seen it. I know a lot of the little quirks and ticks and things to anticipate. And then it's just a matter of trying to speak really quickly and get those details in between the lines because you... You don't want to talk over actors. Right. That's the worst. Well, it seems like it's like the most intense play-by-play. Yes. You can't get in the way of that. As, you know, with a sports cast, you can talk over all of it because sure. it's all action. Right. Um, with this, you're you're really trying to inject things. And you, as you get to know your audience, sometimes you're able to kind of color your description a little bit. Mm-hmm. You always have to be careful not to editorialize. I am right. not making choices about how somebody is doing something or what they're <laughs> right. trying to do with a look. Yeah. It's literally describing what you see. Um, and so that's that's kind of a fun challenge because you've got to – as an actor, I have right. to stop myself sometimes because I can see them making a choice, but it's not mine right. to determine for the audience. So you have to cut out your adjectives and – Exactly. Like... <laughs> no adjectives, no adverbs <laughs> no other adverbs, than yeah. like colors of costumes. Right, that's okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as you get to know your audience, you kind of find out what they like to hear. With Shakespeare in Love, we had a number of ladies who were, were listening to the description, and they wanted more descriptions of the costumes, yeah. which I totally understand because <laughs> sure. the costumes were incredible. Yeah. Um, we did a, a description just for children of Mary Poppins. We did two for Mary Poppins, one for adults, one for children. And there were a couple of young ladies who attended that children's performance who were teenagers and had some performance experience. Mm-hmm. I was told very matter-of-factly after the description that they would have liked more technical description of oh. the dance moves. Okay. 
And I thought, well, that is absolutely valid for somebody that knows what they're talking about. Yeah. For the general audience member, that might not be so descriptive. So right. there's a little bit of, of give and take that has to happen. But to see people be able to to go to the theater and experience what the whole group is experiencing, to feel empowered, to know when to laugh and why they're laughing, right. to know when to clap – to go with a spouse or a significant other and not have that person feel the burden of trying to anticipate what's going to happen in a show they've never seen right. and letting people just go and be people with one another. Sure. And then to have that experience of interacting with the actors and the sets, it's it's magical and it's absolutely reawakened my some of the joy that I think yeah. theater can bring to one personally. Well, and I, you know, I think about it professionally for me because I'm a community engagement person. Mm-hmm. And we think about expanding our audience, expanding theater into new places. Mm -hmm. And that's like, you know, that never occurred to me until I read about this. Yeah. It had never occurred to me either. But I, and then when I thought about it and I started watching movies with my eyes closed and I went, oh my (laughs) gosh, if you don't have that input, how much are you missing? And our hope is to expand. Um, Right now, because there are only two describers. We're we're a little bit at our wits end trying to make everything happen. But we had a core of people who, thanks to all the great coverage we've received, did step forward and expressed interest in learning how to describe. We're still looking for people. If you're interested, please reach out to Virginia Voice or to me. We can make it happen. Um, We're trying to establish a training program. um, And I think it's a, a great way for people to engage in this art form in a different way, especially if accessibility is something that you're passionate about. Sure. Well, and it's also, you know, there's, as we're reaching, you know, I'm reaching out into older populations Mm -hmm. and there's people who are suffering from macular degeneration and things like that. For many of the people that have come, these are people who enjoyed going to the theater at one time and stopped when this became an issue for them. Uh, So you're giving people a little piece of their life back. Um, One lady said, you know, I don't miss going to the movies. Like Mm. I can, I can watch a movie at home if I really want to try, but I really miss going to the theater. Um, So it's a, it's a pretty neat thing to to get to see theater anew by sharing it with somebody else. Do you tap into your acting skills as part of being a describer? Or is it more (laughs) play-by-play or how... Yeah, that's a good question. I, I One piece of feedback I did receive that actually made me feel really good mm-hmm. was that um, they said, oh, as as things got more excited on stage, like I could hear it in your voice. You know, you got excited too. <laughs> right. And that's just in my nature. If, okay. if people are going to be that excitable an and up, you know, it's – it's. <laughs> but I think there's there's a little bit of trying to match what's going on on stage. If you're totally deadpan when something really exciting is happening, ugh. But if it's a quieter moment, you're not going to just be very brusque. And, and I think because so much of it is on the fly, yeah. what it has developed is my improvisational skill. Oh, That's not something I would have said I was very comfortable with. Yeah. Uh, I am a very verbal person, as everyone can probably tell. <laughs> um, so that part comes naturally. But having to think really quickly, especially if something goes wrong or sure. changes or anything like that, you know, there there are – if something happens on stage that's not supposed to, I am mm-hmm. supposed to describe it. Right. Because if people hear a gasp or a <laughs> laugh sure. – they want to know what happened. Right. They need to be included in that. And so it's not a reflection on the actors on stage. Right. It's simply a matter of making sure everybody's on the same page. Right. Were so. there any significant moments like that in Shakespeare in Love or Mary Oh, Poppins gosh. Where... Um, I do remember there was one performance that we described 
Uh, and Mallory Keene actually had gone on for Stacy oh, as Mary okay. Poppins, right. which my hat is off to her. That is not something I could imagine doing. <laughs> um, but a broom was supposed to be thrown to her from mm-hmm. offstage, and there was a little bit of a missed connection. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a little titter from a couple audience members. So I very quickly and discreetly just said, we had a little mishap with the broom. It didn't quite make it to her hand, <laughs> you know, but, you know, trying oh, to pay great. complete respect to the actors who are working so hard on yeah. stage. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I was trying to use that as a transition yeah. to talk about you as an actress, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because you are in uh, you are in the cast for Brave New World, which Quill is doing at the Cultural Arts Center in Glen Allen, yep. opening on February second. Um, this show is from for people probably everybody knows this, but it's from a novel written by Aldous Hus- Huxley. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and a lot of us read that in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, Many of us may not remember all of the character beats and all the fine lines. You play a character named Lenina? Yes, we're going with Lenina. Lenina? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I get it. Ah, yes. Everybody's um, got interesting names. Marx, Bernard, Lenina, hmm. Hitlerette. I don't know what that's all about. Mm, don't know. No idea. Very subtle, mm. that one. Um, <laughs> so... From what I understand from reading the, some of the reading I've done, you're somebody your your character reacts against um, a, uh, a sexual promiscuity as being kind of the norm, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, you essentially kind of fall for one guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that kind of what's going on? Absolutely. Uh, there, there's so much going on in this world that Huxley created that then this particular adaptation either has used or kind of left by the wayside and we're mm-hmm. trying to we're use we're honoring the script but definitely trying to help reinfuse it with some of those elements that Huxley had that this particular adaptation kind of leaves by the wayside mm, okay. um, one of which really for me playing Lenina given the idea that the the culture is one of promiscuity is that it's a really pretty sterile script in that regard. There are a few moments of physical contact, but trying to establish that this is a world where, as we say numerous times, everyone belongs to everyone else hmm. has been really interesting. Uh, yeah. There are only, I think, two male characters in the entire show that Lenina has not or is not at some point involved with. Okay. So that's been really interesting as me for an actor to try to work with Maggie and figure out how do we honor the script but also – make sure that this is conveyed, that this is the norm, right. uh, because it's sort of different, I guess, from what we think of nowadays. <laughs> well, anyway. That, yeah, that's, that's um, but part yes. of what I wanted to ask you, is yeah. that, like, you know, there's, I'm an old guy now, but from what I hear, there's this hookup culture <laughs> going on. How is this different than that? I'll be really interested to see what our, our school matinees have to say about that. Yeah. Um, I'm an old soul, so it's a little foreign to me too, but I think there are a lot of similarities, not just in that regard, but in terms of, you know, everyone in this this culture we've created takes a happy pill. Mm -hmm. We call it SOMA. And you think about the opioid crisis and how does that tie in? You think about uh, technology and always being watched and being observed and having your behavior continually critiqued by the rest of society. Some of this we have introduced for ourselves and some of it is just a function of the world we live in. But there are a lot of these threads where – you know, you read Brave New World Revisited, which was Huxley's sort of readdressing of his work in the 50s, okay. you know, 20 years after he'd written it and after World War II. And you kind of chuckle sometimes because he's sort of, oh, look, look, I was right. I was even more right than I thought I'd be. Hmm. And then you read some phrase and you go, oh, OK, that's a little too prescient. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, so it's it's 
it'll be fun to see what connections the audience makes uh, in that regard. But to to go back to Lenina's sort of place in this whole thing, uh, there's a there's a caste system. And you're an alpha, you're a beta, you're a gamma, you're a delta, you're an epsilon. Mm. Lenina is a beta. So she has been – she was, you know, made in a bottle right. like everybody else but in her own bottle, not one of 68 million twins. So she does have some intelligence. She has, mm. you know, some physical attractiveness, we hope. <laughs> and um, and But she's she's not – a leader. She's not the brightest and the person making decisions. The hmm. alphas, the the upper cast, are really those folks. Okay. And so you see two characters: Helmholtz Watson, played by Axel Burtness, and Bernard Marx, played by Michael Oppenheimer, who are actively but secretly questioning this society. The difference between Helmholtz and and Bernard and Lenina is that these two men have the language and the awareness to try to talk about it. Okay, because they're alphas. Right. Okay. They they have more awareness of how this world has been constructed mm. and how it works and their role in it. Lenina, I think, has this curiosity but cannot put a name to it. Mm. She doesn't have the vocabulary, literally or emotionally, to figure out what this thing is, but something's not sitting correctly because, as you said, almost immediately out the gate – She's already not doing what she's supposed to. She's okay. been dating one guy for four months and only one guy, and that is not That's good. Not okay. Okay. Um, so out the gate, she's already kind of riding the edge, and mm. then it just goes further and further. But ultimately, the the tragedy of it is that there is this person that she falls for, and that might be reciprocated. But she there there's not a common language there. Right. Um, huh. So that's it's been very interesting to fall completely for somebody, but not be able to go to the place that we would naturally associate right. all of those feelings with. It's stunted. So, yeah, um, it's a little adolescent in a way. Right. So that's wow. been a lot of fun. Well, and it, what's so intriguing to me about this is when I hear about dystopian dramas, you expect something that's fairly sterile and mm. fairly, you know, anodyne. And this is, you know. Between the, you know, talking about the sexuality and talking about these relationships and there's a Shakespeare connection. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems like this is not some cookie cutter. Well, it, it, there's a certain cookie cutter aspect of it, mm-hmm. but there's so much meaty stuff going on in oh, this yeah. story. Yeah, it's there's a lot packed into and it's it's what's been fun is how much of that you kind of have to take for granted as this is just the way we do things. Right. You know, uh, in the first five minutes of the show, I've got my arms wrapped around Joseph Bromfield. And <laughs> it's like, this is just how we greet each other. Like, yeah. this is totally normal. And then, you know, everything else happens. So it's it's been really interesting to, to play with what you kind of just have to reset as your normal. And um, we've really worked as a cast to try to figure out what the, the physicality of these people are, is right. are. Yeah. Um, especially when you do go meet the quote unquote savages who have this rich ceremony that you get to see in the show that's incredibly choreographed by Nicole Morris Anastasi and Maggie Roop, I guess, with some... Um, it's <laughs> it's intense. Uh-huh. I get to freak out a lot okay. because this is very scary and um, it's definitely worth seeing. But it's, you know, trying to establish the difference in the physicality mm-hmm. between those two worlds has been really fun, too. Well, it sounds very exciting. I can't <laughs> wait to see it. I hope, it'll, I hope we will not disappoint. <laughs> well, I don't think you will. I, it's been great. great. Well, I have one last... Uh, Question slash rant. Um, I think I've I think I've mentioned to you before that I think you're, you're an excellent actress. You're one of my favorites, and you don't get cast as much as I would like to see you get cast. Um, and 
one of the things I was wondering about is, you know, I, I married somebody who started out as an actress. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a frustration. There's not as many female roles. And there is a lot more actresses than there are actors. So sure. you've, you've got kind of a double whammy there. Mm -hmm. Do you get frustrated? Do you ever feel like, and you, you know, you are a very accomplished professional. There's plenty of things that you could be doing. <laughs> Why do you keep acting? Oh, uh, well, you know, in 30 seconds yeah, yeah, <laughs> I um, I keep acting because it allows me to flex those muscles and that part of my brain that maybe I don't have to use in the same way in my my other professional life, hmm. which I'm also totally committed to. And I, I do see a dearth of, of female roles available for all of us to share in Richmond, mm -hmm. but it feeds that part of me that nothing else quite quite gets to. And I like the challenge. I like forcing myself out of my comfort zone. Mm. Um, I can be very in my head, and there's a point at which when you're acting, you just have to put that down. Right. And I love that. And I love the kind of connection that you you get to when you just lock eyes with somebody and you're working on that scene and you just, you know, you've gotten to the core of it. So I certainly have plenty of ideas of things I'd love to do. We can talk. Um, Everybody cast Alex. <laughs> oh, no. You're very kind. <laughs> okay. Well, um, we're going to have to wrap up, but thank you very much. And I hope thank you will you stick so around because we're going to talk to Bianca Bryan. I can't just wait. A second. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Okay, so we're here with Bianca Bryan. Hi, Bianca. Hi, How thanks you doing? for having me. I'm oh. well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you are one of those people that I could read your credits for an hour, and we only have 20 minutes. So um, I'm going to start out with that you got your MFA at Brooklyn College in New York. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yep. Um, and up in New York, you did major roles in productions of Cinderella, Sound of Music, The Mikado. You've been, cool things. You've been doing your research. Uh, hey, <laughs> <laughs> they don't pay me the big bucks for nothing, you know. Um, I first saw Bianca in The Clean House here at the Barksdale in uh, 2008, I believe. Mm -hmm. That wasn't your first role in Richmond, though, was it? It was my first role in Richmond. It was your first role. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, for your first role in Richmond, you got nominated for an RTCC <laughs> award. Um, and since then, you've earned four additional RTCC nominations, most recently as the pilot in Grounded at Theater Lab, and perhaps more memorably, or most memorably to me, as Yixak. Am I saying that correct? Oh, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, to Matt Schaffner's Hedwig in Hedwig and the in Angry Inch at the Theater Lab. And we're very excited at Firehouse that she'll be starring as Emily, the lead character in the musical Wings which will be opening at Firehouse on February 16th. And she's already been cast in Titus Andronicus for Quill this summer. So mm -hmm. there's all these connections here. a lot here. of things going on. Uh, yep. um, she also hosts Untapped VA, a national TV show highlighting the Virginia beer scene. And you can hear her daily as The Voice, capital T, capital V, <laughs> for 88.9 WCVE slash NPR. So. <laughs> so I'm going to start out with the most important question to me, which is how much beer do you get for untapped and do you, will you share? It's the best job. It's seriously <laughs> the best job. Well, you know, actually, I have to be honest. Uh -oh. I have I allow myself one beer when we're filming. Only one. And, and it actually gets better while I drink that beer. OK. But then the rest of the shoot. I do iced tea and we stir it up with a oh, straw. Oh, really? I know. So it's the not like drunken history. It's not It's not falling off the rails <laughs> But by the we end. do get much better. Like sometimes we get there at 10 o'clock in the morning and the co-host and I don't start drinking till like 12. Uh -huh. And then 12 o'clock hits and we're like, let's have a beer. And then at 1 o'clock we're like, oh, we're so good now. We should have started <laughs> drinking at 10. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this is flowing so, so easily. You know, in the beginning, with like episode one or two, I would have like two or three beers. And then I was like, oh, I can't have that many <laughs> 
because then I have nothing constructive to say. So well, <laughs> and I can imagine then by five o'clock you're also you're <laughs> <laughs> at least that's what I would be doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I figured out one is a good number, just enough to get things rolling, and then switch dice to you. But okay. it's it's a really fun job. I mean, when I explain that job to anybody, people are like, "Okay, well, that's kind of the best job ever." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know. Really, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, um, I wanted to ask you as somebody who depends on your voice for your livelihood. Mm-hmm. Um, is there stuff that you do to, you know, keep it healthy or, you know, that is a good that question. And actually, I've been like fretting about wings more than probably any show that I've done, like mm-hmm. since I've been in Richmond. Really? Because I come from a classical voice background. I did a um, undergrad at Manhattan School of Music with a degree in opera. Wow. But I haven't sung in this style, even though it is considered musical theater. I have not sung so legitly for years. And uh. especially coming off Hedwig and the Angry Inch, like I left myself time to kind of recover from the view upstairs in the summer, which wasn't a hard <laughs> Sing. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, oh, I'll have the whole fall to get my voice ready. Oh, yeah, but and then, then DJ calls and says, do you want to remount Hedwig? And of course, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can't so, say no to that. <laughs> so now I'm going from singing like hardcore rock and roll in December to try and whip my voice into like operatic shape by February 15th. Wow. So it's very scary. Um, mm-hmm. Do you but, have a vocal coach or do you work with yes, somebody Yes, actually, on this? I'm thrilled because Kim Fox is our musical director Mm -hmm. and then Stephen Rudland who I worked with on Carolina Change is absolutely fantastic so I and Kerrigan and some other people reached out to him and asked would you please come on to Wings because I mean his he's just invaluable and he knows placement of voices in a way where he knows okay you put that note here so that you'll safely get to the next pitch and I mean it's it's so fantastic that that he's on board um, but as for vocal health, this is a show where I'm like, I cannot get sick. So I'm being <laughs> so Uh-oh. hardcore on my family. My kids come in. I'm like, wash your hands. <laughs> Even my husband, I'm like, did you wash your hands? <laughs> Can't have any germs in this house. And then I've I've done things. And that's why Alex and I are in the other room while we're recording <laughs> yes, this, right? Behind the all over the place. But I've I've started doing things that singers have done forever, but I never actually did. Like, um, you know that little Vix inhaler that, of course, oh, you yeah. see in all the dressing rooms and people have their faces over and are inhaling this yeah. the steam. People swear by them, but I've never like felt like, oh my gosh, I have to keep vocal health at top priority. But I just bought one on Amazon. So. <laughs> and I was actually doing it last night. My husband's like, what are you doing? Like, this thing's incredible. Why didn't yeah. I do this years ago? <laughs> this could be an addiction now. <laughs> So I'll definitely have that backstage. And then we're actually kind of figuring out, as we did with Grounded, how I can get some liquid during the show because it'll be a show where I never leave stage. Um, Grounded, we had a bottle of water hidden behind my chair if I needed it. But this I asked last night, I think that she might be really into tea. So there's just hot tea everywhere. I mean, (laughs) she's an older woman, so that makes sense. Okay. Uh, So we'll see. We'll work that out, of course, as staging happens. But Wow. I never think of, and I'm sure most people who go to a show don't think of mechanics like that. that, Mm. You know, you need liquid. You need, your voice needs, you know, Yeah, a little hydration halfway through. So. Well, I also was curious, so as the voice 
for um, WCBE. Mm -hmm. I hear you every day. Millions of people hear you every day. Um, is there a character in your mind that you're embodying as you do the voice? Or oh, is it that's a, a cool question. Well, when I first started here, um, most of my experience was with commercial radio. Okay. So the consistent note was you are too big. And I think that's coming from a theatrical background, too, mm -hmm. that everything is super silly. And I'm, <laughs> this thing is the greatest thing you've ever heard of. And so my consistent note starting the job was, it really has to blend into the rest of the programming. Hmm. So I started to listen to NPR, the national, more than I ever had before to really kind of align my voices with those voices so that it's there's a through line in the day so that you hear the national funding credits announcer is what the actual title is, uh -huh. but nobody knows what that is, so the voice <laughs> is just easier. Um, but um, but that So we all sound like we're coming from the same place. Right. So I don't know if it's so much as a character, it's more kind of taking on the sounds that, um, that I was hearing from the other funding credits announcers as oh, well and now it's so in my bones that I can you know it's like one of those things you could just drop into now that I know how it all sounds together and the yeah. other thing is I pre-record everything so three spots can air together but I could have recorded one two years ago and then I could have recorded one yesterday and then another oh. one four months ago so and I have to, to be make really sure consistent. exactly that yeah. they all flow together in the same kind of cadence and that they all you know sound like one spot so is there really a secret society of you voice <laughs> announcers <laughs> you know I have talked to the national NPR lady <laughs> okay. so, so uh, it's interesting when I first applied for this job I had to do some research has to really figure out what it is. But yeah, there are, well, there's a national, there's two national voices, and then um, the um, affiliates either use their announcers that are on the air or hire a specific voice. It just depends on the size of the station. Hmm. So three years ago is when WCVE got big enough to transfer to an actual funding credits announcer. So awesome. here I am. Thank goodness for them. <laughs> and if I can brag on Bianca a little bit, even though the theater background might have made for a more difficult transition in terms of tone, the thing that Bianca does have going for her is that because she lives in this arts world, difficult names of composers, programs, mm -hmm. anything like that that's arts and cultural related, she's she got, got it. Yeah, yeah, she's got it. It's so easy. It is funny how it all came together. And I grew up overseas, too. My parents were foreign service. Oh, really? So there's a lot of Spanish names and, and different languages, and that ties in, too. So I'm like, this is a really interesting job that ties in all these elements of my life into one thing. Huh. Well, and part of the reason I ask that is because I don't know if this is conscious or not, but you seem very happy when you're doing it. <laughs> It, it's a, it's a, yes. it's a, it's a cheerful sound. So I didn't think, you know, I didn't know if you were like in some happy place. You had to put yourself <laughs> in some happy place while you were doing that. Well, I am always happy here. I do uh, love this job. But yeah, there mm. is supposed to be as a, as a voiceover person, a smile behind the voice. Okay. Well, I did want to talk a little bit about Wings. Yes. Um, now, you, like Grounded, Wings is about a blind-related character. Mm -hmm. Grounded, you're a... It's my specialty. A, <laughs> yeah, I was Apparently. wondering. So are you worried about getting typecast <laughs> now? Or, um, it's very, grounded was very different. I mean, you're an active pilot who was grounded because you were pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, now, this is an older character who has had a stroke mm -hmm. um, and is still think a lot of her mental process involves flying and the imagery she thinks of. But I was wondering if there's anything from Grounded that you were able to draw from as you prepared for Wings. Interesting. You know, the parallel is obvious. And even people that I've explained this musical to, hmm. I've had two or three people say, oh, that sounds like the play that Anne Hathaway did off Broadway a few years ago. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Grounded. I just did that play. <laughs> oh, that one. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so there is, um, you know, a very obvious parallel. But the time is so different mm -hmm. because while, while we're keeping this current, really, when she was 
a wing walker. It happened between 1910 and 1930. Mm. So... The vast difference between that and then flying drones in 2015. Yeah, a um, as of now, I haven't found the parallels besides for the obvious. But I wonder when I go into rehearsals if um, because we haven't decided if she's actually flying her plane and then she climbs out uh-huh. or if she has a pilot. And I think that will make a big difference, hmm. too. Um you know, if I know how to fly, yeah. which I want her to. I hope that's the, di- that's <laughs> yeah. the direction we go in. Right. Um, then I think w- there will be more connection there. Okay. Well, in, another thing that I thought was interesting is that so she's suffered a stroke and she has trouble with language mm-hmm. comprehension. Mm-hmm. And you're somebody who's, you're, again, your livelihood is a lot about language and voice and everything. Is that, um, is it hitting you particularly strongly as you read through it about just the thought of being you know not being able to understand language or be able to talk so people could understand you well that is um one of the most interesting things that i am trying to work out because it can a lot of the script is written in a way that people can't comprehend what is being said because it's Mm -hmm. written from emily's perspective so so far in our music rehearsals the people that know what they're saying they haven't necessarily told me are translating um, whatever they're saying in the gobbledygook or whatever the language is, they're translating so that they have direct intention of what they are saying. I don't know if I really want to know those translations. Oh, yeah. um, last night at music rehearsal, there was one of those songs, and Stephen Redland had them, the nurse and the doctor turn to me and sing it to me. And uh, it's interesting because it feels like you're in one of those strange dreams where you're like behind and and trying to catch up on what is happening and and why I'm missing something. And I think it's also very important in this specific production to not get too caricature-y. I think we really have to search for the language and have those beats where each character, because then she goes into a rehab facility and so the doctor and nurse become rehab patients as well. And those scenes, really having those moments before where they're grasping for that language. So that's that's something that will work out in staging too but i'm looking forward to that and just almost like it's like you're you're trying to speak in a different language or that or that right. they're speaking in a different language yeah. you're trying to just that desperate need to communicate yeah and that's really what this whole piece is about right you know it's what life is about mm. <laughs> you know? well that's the good connection there's our, there's our hit line write that down <clears throat> well i want to um bring in Alex here. Mm-hmm. She's stuck around for this Yay. part. Um, so one of the things I wanted to say about what I think that you do in the many roles that I've seen you in, but particularly in um, Hedwig, but I think even back all the way back to The Clean House, is one of the things I really appreciate that you do on stage is you're so engaged even when it's not about you, and particularly mm-hmm. Hedwig, oh. which mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. is so yes. much about Hedwig. Um, but it's also so much about, you know, Yuxak. And all through the show, you are just, you are so clearly engaged with what's going on, not, not necessarily saying anything or, you know, singing anything, but you can tell that you are involved. And that just seems to me like a very advanced actory kind of thing oh, is that well, you know cool. Thank um you. so i think that's really awesome i don't know if alex you wanted to oh. jump in and talk about why <laughs> do yeah. i oh ever <laughs> no I, I you know i was trying to think back because I, I was trying to be prepared for this and i was trying to think back to the first thing i saw you in and i honestly can't remember what it is i think the first time i saw you in something after i knew you might have been king lear mm-hmm. but the things that have stuck with me i mean the things that are most present in my mind are grounded and Hedwig because 
I was one of the sad souls who didn't see it until this revival, oh, and I'm so glad it happened. It, uh, it was for you. me. It was for me. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think going along with that, I, I think when I saw Grounded, I walked out of there stunned more than anything because the idea of a one woman show still seems incredibly daunting to me. Oh, you have to do it. And you were you were just you were in it the whole I think for me going along with that staying in it the whole time. It's Bianca's stamina. Hmm. Like she is there for it 100 percent the whole time. And she you cannot tell if there is any, you know, pressure on being it for so long. You don't see it. And the other the other thing I appreciate is the and some of this has to do with type or how people get cast. But Bianca tends to play these these really strong characters. And I don't mean strong like they're, you know, totally, you know, they have no insecurities or anything, but just like they are so who they are. And and they're so formidable. And as someone who typically ends up playing the ingenues, which I love, it's just I, I I gravitate sometimes to those characters that are the antithesis of that or seem like the antithesis of that. So grounded and then Yitzhak. And what's great is you just you kind of disappear like none of the the sweetness that I know as Bianca was immediately evident in Grounded. And then I, I kid you not, I went with my boyfriend to see Hedwig. He knows you, too. You walked out on stage before the show started and we're like messing with the microphone and stuff. And I was watching him watching you. And then I nudged him and was like, you know, that's Bianca, right? And he's like, it is. <laughs> so it's it's that total commitment, the total commitment and the stamina and and fearlessness. Oh, well, Those are the things that thanks, I think of guys. when I think about your performances. <laughs> that was my goal, though, for, for Hedwig. And I think I've told you this, like, you know, that people would not know that I was mm-hmm. a female unless you really follow the vocal track of what I was singing, mm-hmm. you know, but you might not know if you don't know where, you know, vocal tracks go. And mm-hmm. there was one time this time around that um, we got to Sugar Daddy and I saw the woman like this woman in the front nudge her partner and was like, I think that's a girl. <laughs> I was like, yes. Uh, that's what well, and, and the night we went, uh, somebody uh, was walking to their seat and uh, sort of tripped the cord for one of the microphones the next time she came out the person got up and went over to her like i just want to let you know i might have messed this up and i saw bianca just be like mm-hmm. yeah. got it yes, yes. and then she disappears and a few minutes later mess rayford comes out and fixes the microphone i'm like that was that was some acting right there i love it didn't break character at all no no well i also wanted to get you your, both of your perspective on another question that I often think about, which is I know I spoke to Bianca probably months ago, maybe during King Lear, um, because you moved from New York Mm -hmm. to Richmond Mm -hmm. um, and at the time seemed very happy here. And, you know, there's this perception that people, you know, they want to make it to the big time. And so they, you know, they ply what local ground they can just to get up there, to get to Chicago Mm -hmm. or New York Mm -hmm. or something like that. So, as somebody who was in New York, would you go back? Or do you do you look back and go, yeah, maybe sometime I would like to go back there? Or? Well, I feel like at this time I'm in the exact right place because mm-hmm. I love my job. I love the roles that I'm playing. Um, I love all my footholds here in Richmond. Uh, we did sell our apartment in New York, and sometimes, yes, my husband are like, oh, if only we could have kept our apartment. It would have been a gold mine. That's right. um, but, you know, mortgages and kids and all that stuff. But sometimes we, we toss around like, maybe we'll, maybe we'll retire in New York. Hmm. But it just depends on really where life goes. But I'm still thrilled to be here, and I can't – I have no regrets leaving New York. 
at okay. this point in time. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. And <laughs> Alex, you were raised. I'm not a come. I'm not a born here, but I am a, I am a come here at six months old. So <laughs> you know, so, yeah. yeah. I I love Richmond. Um, and and you, don't you ever get that like you know that urge to. Um, <sighs> going to try the big apple. Yeah, yeah. You know, in college, I think I, I had that idea in my mind uh, of what if, uh, but the community has grown so much. Um, I I am in a fortunate position where I do not, though I pr- pursue it as a professional, I do not rely on my theater work for survival. And living in this town, even though I know there is a real impulse and a desire to make it so that artists can live sustainably on their artistry here in this town, mm-hmm. for someone that for many reasons cannot do that, it is a luxury and a privilege to be able to have two full lives. Um, and, you know, someday mortgages and babies mm-hmm. and all that might change that. But for the time being, I can walk in both worlds. And I don't think you can do that if you're if you're in in a larger pond, really. Mm -hmm. It seems like you have to be so available for auditions. Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's a double edged sword. And I certainly recognize that in terms of the growth of the community. But these are the roots. These are the people I've known forever. These are the people I've learned from and now get to work with. And this community has grown so much and stabilized so much. I think that's the key. There was a big, long period of growth, but now it's stabilized. The theater companies that are here are doing well. They're stable. They're trying things that are a little more unusual. Mm -hmm. I I certainly understand all the the young kids, you know, people. (laughs) Youngsters. Two years, three years, five years younger than I am, like going and making a go of it. But for me, where I am in my life, this is exactly where I need to be. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I think, I mean, I hope it, this is true. It seems like from an example like yours, Bianca, it's like you can make a living here. Yeah. It may not, yeah. it may not be the, you know, the mm-hmm. one job you're not going to be on a soap opera and you yeah. know, cash that check every week. Mm-hmm. But you put together several different vocations yeah. and do mm-hmm. a little bit more of this and a little bit more of that. And exactly. then you can make it work. And yeah. I'll add, I mean, I'm sure a lot of the people listening are tried and true theater artists, but I also think that creatives and especially actors are some of the best development people because people my people hate the word moist i hate the word schmooze i do not schmooze i get to know people and i get to know what they're passionate about and then i try to plug them into things that they care about and except for that last part what is doing character analysis and and the work we do as actors Hmm. other than that getting to know someone and figuring out what makes them tick so Mm -hmm. that's my plug for uh theater artists working in development (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well done. Very good. Okay. Well, I think we're going to have to wrap up now. I could talk to you guys all day. (laughs) Likewise. You you apparently have jobs. (laughs) You just have to talk to people. Uh, But thank you very much. And everybody go see Brave New World opening February 2nd. 2nd. Mm -hmm. Everybody, especially. Yeah. (laughs) Just because, you know, they pay my my checks. Um, Everybody go see Wings February 16th. It's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I am here with Alan Sater. Now, Richmonder, he really doesn't need any introduction, but I got to do one. Um, Richmonders may know him from my iconic roles like playing King Lear for Richmond Shakespeare back in 2011 or Big Daddy and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof here at the Firehouse in 2012. 
but the world knows him as the television spokesman for Child Fund International, a job he did for a generation. And he has also appeared in more than two dozen movies and TV series since debuting in the soap opera Another Life back in 1981. Ah, he has also worked as a director and a producer. He has been nominated four times for RTCC Awards, winning twice. He was incredible in Desire Under the Elms here at Firehouse back in November. I can attest to that. And he will be starring in I'm Going to Pray for You So Hard, opening Friday, February 2nd at Theater Lab's basement venue downtown. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. Back in, back where you were spending so much time yeah, during Desire. Right. Yeah. yeah, well, thanks for coming in. Um, so I didn't realize that you started in a soap opera many years ago. And the image I have of that is that it's kind of like the sweatshop of acting. Is that what it was like back then? or I loved you, it. No, yeah. it was wonderful. I'm, I, I don't think there's any actor who probably doesn't love working on a soap opera really? because... First of all, it's regular work, and the pay's good. Okay. Uh, and it's daytime work, so you can still do theater at night. Interesting. Uh, so I think, yeah, that's good. Another huge plus is that it's a character that you get to develop over time, if, mm-hmm. if you're lucky, yeah. years. Right. So, you know, they, they, they it gets to the point fairly early on where they're writing for you and not creating this thing in their head. They're guided uh, driven by it, it's character driven rather yeah. than uh, imagination driven. I don't know if that makes any sense, oh, but, sure. but yeah. it, it does seem that way to me. Yeah. Wow! No, I but I was fun. I had a great role. I was I played a lawyer, and I started out just as a uh, a bad guy. I was the lawyer for the uh, an evil man, and, uh, <laughs> okay. but they liked me, so they gave me a love interest, and I became more of a sympathetic character, okay. and uh, and uh, uh, you know grew and uh, in, in in the role. So. Yeah, I, I loved it. I liked yeah. it a lot. I like getting up six o'clock in the morning and going to uh, to make up and doing this work, and yeah. uh, you know, three or four days a week. That was uh, that was just terrific. And did you just walk in and they gave you your pages for the day, and you just like had to pick them up? That uh, no, usually had the pages uh, uh, ahead of time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I would get pages for the next day before the end of the day, and I'd get in my car and drive down to the Intracoastal Waterway or some other pretty place yeah. and just sit and, and work on the on the script but you don't have to memorize the lines on a soap they've got monitors all over the place uh, okay. so you, you, some people i learned them when i could if, mm-hmm. you know if i or if there was a eyeline eye problem a reason right. why you had to uh but uh my guess is that a good percentage of the people are not have not memorized their lines they're right. they're very familiar with them but they're reading them over the over somebody's shoulder right. it reminds me of uh, tootsie that i don't know if you remember tootsie, yes famous scene where he's like looking for his lines yeah. everywhere and finally <laughs> dustin hoffman grabs him and says, look me in the eye yeah. so um well another interesting thing about that is it was filming in virginia beach mm-hmm. so can you I, I didn't realize that that even happened yeah. so i guess that was with the christian broadcasting network? yes it was a cbn uh mm-hmm. pat robertson's uh, christian broadcasting network um uh uh i don't know how to say this it's not a uh, i'm not a member of that uh, organization sure. or that mm-hmm. persuasion but i'm an actor and this is work and uh, uh and it was good work so uh, i had an opportunity to do it and i liked working there i liked yeah. working with the people everybody was very kind right. uh and it was it was only a couple of miles from my house so oh, that's I, nice. I, could, I drive down there and the place was clean and pleasant so and so when that wrapped up where, what was your trajectory did you go to new york did you go to la where did you No, i i didn't well before i got that job in 1981 uh i i had been living in norfolk uh from from scene 72 i was in the dinner theater business uh, as a 
as a theater owner, as a manager. Uh, I started as an actor and <clears throat> out of college, and I got into equity right out of school. And oh. I worked at Flat Rock Playhouse in Western North Carolina uh, for uh, I was in the resident company for three years, immediately out of college, equity card right away. Wow. Um, which was a stroke of luck, I guess. And then I went to New York, worked in New York, uh, had a couple of small film roles, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I ended up somehow in the uh, dinner theater uh, uh, business uh, doing publicity and became a stage manager and uh, wow. became a, a, you know, a, 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 a manager. And then uh, eventually I ended up owning half of a dinner theater. And then I ended up with my own in Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Virginia Beach. Okay. And that's what brought me there in 1972. And uh, then I auditioned for this soap opera. The dinner theater business had uh, kind of wore, wore me down. Oh, really? It got to yeah. the point where it was just uh, we owed the government a lot of money. Yeah. I had to take myself off the payroll. Oh, we had geez. to pay back tens and tens of thousands, hundred thousand dollars to the government. Jeez. So uh, I, that meant twenty, uh, no, sixty, eighty hours a week for a year hmm. uh, of work, and I, and I was done at the end of that time. Yeah. And so I I bowed out, and and I also had been doing this soap opera for a couple of years at the time, and a lot of voiceovers for commercials. That meant driving to Richmond, because most of the work was driving from Norfolk to Richmond, two mm-hmm. hours. Not an unpleasant drive, not like driving to Washington, but <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, that, that's where my work was. So when the yeah. soap ended, I planned to buy a house in Richmond, and I did, in fact, buy one. That was before the soap ended. Mm-hmm. I bought a house in Richmond. The soap job got extended, so I stayed in Norfolk. Then when it ended in, in uh, 1984, then I made the move to Richmond. I didn't live in the city, though. By that time, I decided I didn't want to live on Grace Street. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. I bought a house in the country in King and Queen County, an antebellum oh, yeah. cottage, and uh, been there ever since. Well, back in those days, that was that was way out in the It, it was. It, what's interesting, though, is there were two stoplights between downtown Richmond and my home. Mm-hmm. There are about 25 now. It still takes the same amount of time, which is <laughs> kind of curious. I haven't puzzled out the... Uh, how that works. So, but so you're basically been a Virginia resident for for years and years and years since 1970, <clears throat> 1972. Yes, okay. the dinner theater before that was in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Before that, in Atlanta, and uh, and I, but I'm a North Carolina native. Mm-hmm. Went, went to Duke, uh, and uh, and then Flat Rock Playhouse, and then New York and all around the the, the South, mostly okay. in uh, in the theater business. So how have you managed to, I mean, have you gone to L.A. and New York to audition for pieces, or do they ask for you, or how, how does that I've never. I've been in L.A. once in my life, and that was just in the airport. Uh, no, I didn't go to L.A., uh, and I didn't really, I didn't want to. I don't yeah. know why. I was in a, a couple of TV films, and several, and one guy in one of them, the guy who played Oscar in uh, uh, The Million Bi- Dollar Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was working with him in a, one of these uh, six million dollars. It's whether you're a six million dollar woman and a six million dollar man ended Get up married. being married. Exactly. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, that's yeah. Great. Bionic Ever After it was mm-hmm. called, yeah. and uh, and he and don't know why his name's not popping into my head, but he's certainly a, a figure that a heck of a lot of people know. He said you should come to Hollywood, uh-huh. and I thought that was very flattering. I mean, yeah. he, you know, he didn't have to say that, but but I didn't because I had. I had plenty of work here. Okay. I didn't feel like I needed to get into that rat race. And I never went back. No, New York I love. Yeah. I absolutely love New York. That would be, If somebody says, what city do you want to live in? If you want to live in a city, it's New York City. No question. Right. Hands down. Yeah. Uh, I, I love your, some European cities, but uh, New York is it. Yeah. And I would love to live there. When I lived there, I lived in a 
Six Flight Walk up between 8th Avenue and Broadway on 56th Street, which mm -hmm. is the heart of the universe for sure. a young actor. And I look out my window at a condominium they were building on Central Park South. And I said, you know, when I come back to New York, if I come back to New York, that's where I'm going to live. And I never went back because I would never be able to afford that. Oh, place. yeah. Well, it's probably worth, it's probably cost 16 times more than it is. I bet. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's interesting because I was when I was looking through your credits and I saw Bionic Ever After, I was mm -hmm. like, oh my, because I was a huge, you know, Bionic Man and, and Bionic Woman fan yeah. when I was, you know, a kid. And it made me wonder, like, what is the mood on a set like that. So when you were on, you know, shooting a, a movie, TV movie like that, understanding that it's a little schlocky. I mean, you know, they're really, they're extending the series as far as it can possibly go yeah. at that point. But also people are, there's good people that are trying to do good work. So, you know, how does that play out on the set? How does it feel? Being an actor and having work is always a good feeling. Yeah. Okay. And so this was one of those. And I had a nice role in, in that film. Um, you know, some most of the work that most of us get here in films are day player roles. Mm -hmm. You may have some lines, you may have a few lines, you may have a good scene or two. Mm -hmm. But I had a lot of good scenes in, in, in that. I played the governor of the island that was being threatened. Okay. <clears throat> and so I had a, I, I had plenty to do and I was busy. And But I had some days off too. This was shot in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, beautiful. So I, uh, I used one of the bicycles at the hotel. I pedaled all over. Uh, Charleston on my days off. It's flat. It's easy. Uh, no, that was that. That was fun. It was a good shoot. The actors are all the actors are serious. The directors are uh, serious. Everybody works hard. Not every set is the same or is as happy as another one. But but this was a good one. Everybody yeah. felt good. There's efficient uh, people. When uh, when people are happy and work efficiently, things run smoothly. Mm -hmm. It's good. That's and good. catering is for films is always good. <laughs> the food all, yeah, is the always, food is always good. Great. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Um, so did you get did you hang out with Lee Majors and Lindsay yeah, Wagner and all? So, a little bit, yeah. yeah. He was fun to work with. He was yeah. good. Uh, he had a sense of humor and 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 he was enjoyable. And um, there are different kinds of actors. Um, what's her name? Lindsay Wagner. Lindsay, yeah, yeah. Wagner, yeah. She's a very fine actress. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't see a lot of her. I think she w was working very hard. I think she stayed in her dressing room and worked hard. Mm -hmm. uh, but both of them were were just terrific. <laughs> And, this uh, is total, you know, total boy geek, yeah. bionic, bionic man fan freaking out here. This well, they were both fun to work with, yeah. as was the director, whose name I don't remember either. But mm -hmm. he was a guy who was kind of a throwback to the uh, uh, to the fifties. He had a crew cut. Who do you know that has a crew cut? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and this guy actually had a, a flat top, right? Flat top uh -huh. crew cut. Well, one of your most famous roles, I, and I say that kind of in quotes, is as the spokesperson for Child Fund International. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Well, it was Christian Children's Fund at the time. Time, uh, and the, the name suggested it might be a missionary organization. It is not. It's a Richmond organization uh, now and has been for maybe forever. And the Burford Company, advertising company here in town, I had already been doing some work for. I was a spokesperson for Farm Fresh Grocery Stores okay. for several years prior to that. And Doug Burford uh, said, you know, we're um, pitching uh, the possibility of uh, doing something for Christian Children's Fund, uh, and we'd like to, you know, to do the pitch with us. So uh, we went up to Churchill, and they bought some palm trees, and they put them around a, you know, an, an old building that had a corrugated garage door, and, and they submitted that, and uh, uh, and it worked. Uh, this was in uh, 1992, uh, so we did a test trip to Guatemala. 
and uh, apparently we produced a spot or two that uh, that worked yeah. for them. So the next year, in 93, we went to uh, uh, to Kenya and uh, did some work there, and, and it turned out to be a, a almost 25-year gig. I yeah. would never have guessed any. I, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't. It, it didn't occur to me when I did it that it would that this would be anything that would be more than a you know a few spots or. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it kept coming back, and uh, they would there somebody else would come in and take over something. I thought, well, okay, now, now it's time. time. New broom sweeps clean, and the <laughs> new broom didn't sweep clean. They called me and said, "We want you to uh, go and do this another uh, somewhere in the world, the Philippines, or uh, uh, somewhere in South America or Africa again." Yeah. So it, it kept happening until just a couple of years ago. Well, that's what. So you and I have two connections that you are probably not aware of. Well, I'm a Duke graduate as uh -huh. well. I did know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, my father was on the board of Christian Children's Fund ah. during the time when Sally Struthers was on the way out, and uh -huh. you were on the way in. I have uh -huh. no idea whether he had any input whatsoever in hiring you at all but it did make me wonder did you did you, is that something where you ever got to meet her because i know she was original spokesperson for um, christian children's fund i think she was yeah. and uh I, I never met her okay. uh i would love to have met her i yeah. I, I absolutely loved her work and we all did yeah in uh, with uh archie bunker Right. You know, and uh, I, I always thought she was just wonderful. But uh, but I know that I had done uh, some spots that were aired and they didn't tell her that she wasn't going to be doing oh. stuff for them anymore. And so she called somebody uh, there uh, at CCF and said, uh, what's going on? You've got Pernell Roberts <laughs> doing spots for you. <laughs> And hmm. I, I had no idea that I could have been mistaken for Pernell yeah, Roberts really. at the yeah. time. Was that a? Did you take that as a you know as a compliment? Or uh, was well, it? I, yeah, I, I did take that yeah. as something of a compliment. <laughs> Pernell Roberts is a good-looking guy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, and Bonanza, sure. <laughs> um, uh, but the, the person said that's not Pernell Roberts. That's Alan from Ashland. I don't know how they decided I was from Ashland. <laughs> I never lived in Ashland, right. uh, but 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 that was that was the story of uh, that, that I heard about mm. uh, about Sally. And uh, uh, again, I, I still I'd love to meet her. I'd love mm. to work with her. I think she's wonderful, and she did terrific work for them for a good number yeah. of years. Well, and you've been on you know a number of different TV movies. Um, are there people that stand out to you in your in your memory, like particularly awesome people that you worked with? Well, Nick Nolte. Was yeah. he, he was a lot of this in Prince of Tides? Yeah. Yes, uh, and he was he was definitely he, he had gotten sober and he was working hard at it. He would, would ride around on a bicycle all the time. He was getting trying to be fit, getting fit, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 did, and I think continued that. I don't you know don't follow his history, but he mm -hmm. was he was he hung out with us and he was fun. He was a regular guy and yeah. he was a lot of fun. Uh, to be with and to work with. Gee, uh, there's certain, you know, in my dinner theater days, yeah. uh, I worked, I, in the dinner theater I had in Norfolk, the Tidewater Dinner Theater, uh, we had three years uh, in the mid-70s uh, when we were the Tidewater Dinner Theater of the stars. Hmm. So we uh, were able to afford people who were in between TV series or were Hollywood stars who were the stars of yesterday. Okay. But they were still well-known and highly respected and loved, and I could afford to hire them. So uh, uh, we had lots of good people and fun stories and wild things. Imogene Coca, mm -hmm. uh, Sid Caesar and Imogene Coca, your show mm -hmm. of shows. Um, 
she was remarkable. Pat O'Brien of the golden years of Hollywood did a show with, with his wife there. And there's stories from each one of these that are, to me, Forrest Tucker is another one. But Imogene Coca had been in a terrible automobile accident a few years ago, and she was legally blind. Mm-hmm. She, she couldn't she could hard, she couldn't see. Hmm. But to do this show, a Plaza Suite, Neil Simon show, she took off her glasses, which were like Coke bottles and <laughs> things, uh, and, and she'd go on stage, and she was so bright and beautiful and effusive, and she didn't look like she, you know, she memorized her way around the stage. Oh, wow. Because th- that was just wonderful. Um, Pat O'Brien, uh, he couldn't walk without a cane, but before he went on stage, he leaned the cane up against the, the flat, come through the door, and you could never tell that he could that he that he Jeez. needed a cane. You know, yeah. he, the the pain went away, and he uh, uh, and he and he also was just super. You know, you know how, why and how these people are and were superstars yeah. because of that. And uh, it's almost like an athlete, you know, that they can just kind of put certain things out of their mind and just do the work. I think that's right. Well, you yeah. know, a lot of actors, I think, will attest to this. They mm. feel awful. They are in pain. The back, mm. you can't move. But when the when the curtain goes up, all that goes away. You go out on stage and, and you're a different person. You don't feel the pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you don't feel like caca. <laughs> you go <laughs> right. out and you do it. Yeah. And when you get back to the dressing room, you just wilt. So <laughs> right. I, I know that any actors who are who are listening to this will be nodding their heads. Yes, yeah. that's right. Well, I did want to <clears throat> ask you a little bit about I'm Going to Pray for You So Hard, mm. which is your, you're currently in rehearsal for, and it's going to be opening right after this podcast drops. So I know that uh, I know a little bit about this play and that you deliver a pretty nasty attack on theater critics like right out, <laughs> right out of the boat That's you know right, right out of the gate um so i'm did you have to channel some of your frustration as part of that or no that, problem no <laughs> <laughs> that just came right out no well uh, david my character does say i mean first lines are and i can't say them but uh, uh there's a lot of words in this play that i cannot <laughs> say uh, but he says they are all idiots mm-hmm. first line and he's talking about theater critics yeah. uh, and he goes on about this for quite a long time he <laughs> says they're perverse mm. uh, and and you and you got to tell them what you think of them and a lot of foul language about them <laughs> um and uh, uh i've had some experiences which i could channel for that but at the same time uh, uh i i said well what about those critics that aren't like Total that because yeah. there are some Present company accepted. I was just going to say <laughs> exactly the opposite. I was going to say there there are those like Dave Timberline hmm. uh, and 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 some others who uh, I I would reel them off if if they were on the tip of my tongue who uh, who care about theater and probably hate to write bad reviews. Yeah, it, you know you have to say. You know, you gotta you gotta tell Same it like it is. Yeah. Um, you can tell it like it is and still promote uh, the, the business, still promote the theater, and still mm-hmm. encourage people to go. Um, and um, some people don't don't quite get that. Uh, they don't see it as their responsibility to do that. I think there are some New York critics who who certainly do not see that as any kind of responsibility. And right. the way they make have made their name is by being clever. And it's a lot easier to be clever uh, with uh, shooting darts and, sure. and arrows than it is to 
to and, and you know that's why they start the news off with the with the murders and and, and, <laughs> right. and the bad stuff right. because people are more interested in hearing bad stuff. Well, and it's it's why the villain is always the more interesting character mm-hmm. in any any superhero show because it's easier to be yeah. comic book bad than it is to be comic book nice. Well, I, <laughs> my feeling about journalistic criticism of the theater is that um, it's own it's one person's opinion. It may be an informed opinion. Mm-hmm. I certainly hope it's an informed opinion. Right. Uh, I, but sometimes I think they say, oh, uh, what are you doing tonight? You go review the play. <laughs> right. I know that has happened. Sure. Um, but but the theater also is, the show is is different. It's not like a movie. Mm-hmm. It's different every night. Right. And if somebody says, well, you know, the, the accents weren't all evenly great. Well, the next night, they probably are all evenly great. Two or three nights later, they right. certainly all are. Uh, but the message that somebody gets is, that, you know, if when I go to this show, are the accents going to be wonderful, right. yeah. or is this person going to uh, their flub lines. their lines exactly? Yeah. Um, so there are some things about it uh, that 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 I that I have trouble with. Uh, at the same time, I know that we have to ha- we have to open ourselves up to criticism, and constructive criticism is good. I have some ambivalence about this. Yeah. I I have great respect for many of the writers. Some of them. Uh, I just wonder why they're even there. <laughs> right. Well, I am personally looking forward to going and hearing this diatribe so I can <laughs> internalize it. <laughs> so um, this also the play involves a very intense relationship between a father and a daughter. Yeah. And this gets me to wondering how there's all sorts of approaches to acting, and you know the kind of the stereotypical method acted acting you know would be that you would be you would have the same relationship off stage with you know your acting partner mm-hmm. as you would on stage with a show this intense. It seems like that would be really hard, and I, mm-hmm. I don't know if you you take that approach anyway. But so I'm wondering how you balance your off stage relationship and on stage relationship in a show particularly like this which is really intense and very personal. In this particular show. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I, I don't think I want to classify myself as uh, any particular kind of actor. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not a method actor. I have I have worked on that. I've studied that. And there are some things about it that I like and find very useful. This this role has, has been a, a, a challenge. Okay. Uh, every role is a challenge. But uh, just getting the lines is, is challenge number one. Um, being a, a a bit of an SOB isn't too much of a challenge because uh, I don't think I am one, but <laughs> but so it's fun to do it. The Liz and I, you know, we we don't fraternize. We're not social uh, friends, but I've known her work for a long time and mm-hmm. had, and and had great respect for her. And it's and it's huge fun. It's a pleasure and and an honor to do this show uh, with her. But it, the the relationship isn't antagonistic mm. it, so i there's not that aspect to it it's curious and complicated yeah my father figure uh and i am playing the an older father of a young actress a, a successful playwright who is a man about my age mm-hmm. and liz happens to be a woman of the of age of one of my two daughters okay um, so th- th- there are some things to find in, in reality there, but my take on this is that David, my David, uh, is, uh, <clears throat> well-intentioned. He wants to be a good father. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's the best father in the world <laughs> and he thinks that he knows everything and she knows nothing. So he thinks he's giving her love, uh, when he's damaging her. And, and I think that's it succinctly <gasps> and so forth. But, but just as an aside to that, this is a totally different thing, but my daughter, um, married, uh, hasn't got her 
MA, MFA from Boston University. Just last year she finished. She designed the set for an upcoming production here in town for Quill Theater oh, okay. uh, for Brave New World. Uh-huh. And I thought as I, and she, but she's in Hollywood. She came home for the opening of that show to, to work on the set for the last few few days before it opens. Uh, and I thought as uh, we were driving out to that, she dropped me at my theater work and then she went to her theater uh, to do work at her theater. And I thought, you know, that felt really good. Uh, <laughs> we are a the working theater family. Yeah. Uh, there was something that was uh, that was wonderful about that. Uh, that uh, it, it, it still has me smiling, and it will for a long time. <laughs> That's great. Well, you don't seem to be slowing down at all in your theater work. You are getting cast in show after show, which is a delight for Richmond audiences. So I'm glad that you're in this next show coming up. Can't wait to see it. We're going to have to wrap it up now, but thank you very much for it's coming It's been in. a real pleasure talking with you. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. Yeah. Wow, I was not joking when I called this show The Alphas. Those were some great interviews, uh, and many thanks to Alex Wiles and Everyone Go See Brave New World um, at the Cultural Arts Center in Glen Allen, and also thanks to Bianca Bryan, who will be in the musical Wings. Uh, It opens here in two weeks, but it is not at all too early to get your tickets. And of course, finally, thanks to Alan Sater, lion of the local stage and one of the stars of I'm Going to Pray for You So Hard at Theater Lab opening this weekend. Also opening this weekend is The Diviners at Chamberlain Actors Theater, Corpus Christi at Triangle Players, and Songs from the Soul at Virginia Rep's Willow Lawn Stage. Next week, Cadence will open The Christians, and Heritage Ensemble has Free Man of Color. So there is a lot of theater out there. Go out, enjoy it, and I will see you back here in two weeks. (laughs) 